This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's good to see you all back here. Last week we started uh, our summer series in which we really hope to make a mensch out of every one of you, God willing, in just four weeks. It's a Herculean task, but I believe you are up to the challenge. And uh, last week we did our first one on judging people and the importance of judging people favorably. And, um, <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about the second of the Midos of the characters that we're going to be learning about this week, uh, this summer. I want to begin by thanking all of you for coming out here. Uh, whether you're here in person, whether you're here on Zoom, or whether you're watching this at a later date, in which case I thank you to, for taking the time to learn together with me and share Torah. It's a pleasure to see you here. Um, I want to thank the amazing staff of Yeshua Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit for setting up this beautiful, beautiful lunch and learn. There's great food in the back. Avail yourselves of it generously. And I want to thank the amazing folk over at Torah Anytime, which is both an app and a website, believe it or not, filled with amazing Torah content, which you can download and appreciate and fill your brain with and become wise and better and a great human being. Alrighty, let's get started. So there's two Irishmen walking down the street one early morning. And they pass by a pub that's open. And now, I don't actually, they didn't pass by the pub. Because there's an ancient Irish custom that when you pass a pub that is open, you don't pass it until you go in and have a pint. And then continue on your way. So they both want to go and have a drink. And, but the problem is, it's early morning and they're walking their dogs. So they're about to walk in, and the, and the guy's like, no, 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 look at that sign. It says, uh, you know, no dogs allowed. So the guy says, don't worry, I got this figured out. He whips out a pair of dark sunglasses. He walks up to the bar. He sidles up to the bar, says, bartender, give me a drink. And the guy says, excuse me, sir, you brought your pet into the bar. Didn't you see the sign outside? He says, excuse me, sir. Can't you see that I'm blind? This isn't a pet. This is a seeing eye dog. This is a service dog. How dare you speak to me like that? And the bartender's like, I'm, okay, I'm sorry. Here you go. Here's a drink. It's on the house. The other guy's watching this whole thing unfold. He's like, all right, I got this. Pulls out a dark pair of sunglasses. Puts it on. Sidles up to the bar. Says, bartender, give me a drink. And the bartender says, excuse me, sir? You brought your pet in here. Didn't you see the sign? It said no dogs allowed. And he says back to him, excuse me, sir. This isn't a pet. This is a seeing eye dog. Can't you see that I'm blind? So the bartender looks and he says, that's a seeing eye dog? That's a chihuahua. <laughs> so the guy looks, he says, are you serious? They gave me a chihuahua for a seeing eye dog? <laughs> The point of the story is that sometimes you want something to be something that it's not. You want your pet to be a seeing eye dog, but what ends up happening is he's no longer your pet, and he's also not a seeing eye dog, and you get lust left with nothing. The sages tell us the following statement. The sages tell us the following statement. If someone get me one source sheet also, that would be great, because my source sheet only has the, the Hebrew, not the English. Thank you very much. Okay. The sages tell us the following statement in Gemara Sota, Daf Tes Amud Aleph. 
If you are jealous, if you put your eyes on things that aren't yours, you look at things that you don't own and you look at them with a covetous eye, what he wants you don't get. What you already have gets taken away from you. So when you covet what belongs to others, not only do you not get what belongs to others, but even what belongs to you gets taken away from you. This is the reality. What? So we're going to do questions actually. We'll do questions afterwards because we're going to deal with that. It's a good question. We're going to deal with that afterwards because we've got a large crowd who wanted to be able to go through and then we'll have questions afterwards. So the reality of jealousy is you end up with nothing. Your chihuahua is neither a pet nor a seeing eye dog. You've got nothing. I wanted what someone else has. I don't have their car. I want my neighbor. My neighbor just got a brand new, he got a big Lexus. I want my Lexus. I want his Lexus. I don't have his Lexus, and now I don't even enjoy my own car. So I've got nothing. I've got no, my car is pathetic now, because I want that car, and his car I don't have, so I've got nothing. You end up a total net, some, uh, net zero. You're, you're, you're zeroed out. The greatest way to derail any success you have in life is to be jealous of other people's stuff. So today we're going to talk about jealousy. We're going to try to cover a lot of important topics. Number one, the history of jealousy. Number two, the source of jealousy. Why did God create this power of jealousy? Number three, the positive sides of jealousy. Number four, how do we deal with it? How do we deal with jealousy both, A, when we are jealous of others, and B, when others are jealous of us? Let's start with history of jealousy for $200. <laughs> who, was, where was, where, who was the first... Where is the first case of jealousy ever? Ever? My wife's raising her hand. She automatically gets called on. Was it the snake and Adam? Ah, very good. The snake was jealous of Adam. Now, by the way, I've given, we're, we're going to do that in a second inside in your source sheets. So my wife did get the correct answer. Although someone one time raised their hand and they said, wait, weren't the moon and sun jealous of each other like this? The moon said, I don't want to be the same size as the sun. We can't have two crowns, kings wearing the same crown. And God's like, all right, you'll be the small guy. So that, that was sort of like a jealousy issue. So that's even before, but that's totally in a medrash, not any... We, yeah, so that could be as well. But let's look at this one inside. The Torah tells us that God created Adam and Eve, and it says that the two of them were unclothed. Man and woman were unclothed in the garden, and they were not ashamed. The very next verse, which is Genesis 3, 1, Parak Gimel, Pasuk Aleph, And the serpent was the most evil, was the most cunning of all the animals that God made. And he starts engaging in a conversation with Chava, with Eve. What, what is the juxtaposition? Says Rashi. Rashi on the location says, How do we get this conversation about the snake right next to the conversation about Adam and Eve being unclothed in the garden and unembarrassed? Says Rashi, The snake saw Adam and Eve together, being intimate, and he was jealous of them. And that's why he engaged in the conversation with Chava, with Eve, in an attempt to try to lure her and seduce her away from her husband. So the beginning, the root, now we know that the the snake is the root of all evil, it's where all sin is going to come from. And what 
is what attracts him. You know, you want to catch a mouse, you put out peanut butter or cheese, right? The famous line, there's, there's uh, how's it go? All free lunches are like a mouse's cheese. You know, like, so anytime you think you're getting a free lunch, it's, it's like a mouse's cheese. So if you want a, a mouse, you got to put out cheese. If you want to get, you know, ants, put out sugar. They love sugar, right? Different kinds of things. You lure them in. The evil inclination hones in right away on jealousy. And again, the Mechtav Melio, the Melio Dessler says that the original sin, in the, in the original moment, the serpent is the, all of evilness wrapped up in a physical form. It was not, right now we have an internal battle between good and evil. Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were so pure, there was no internal evil. All the evil in the world was external, and that was the snake. And what do we know about the snake? First thing we know about the snake is, snake is jealous. Wow. The root of evil is jealous. So, what does he do? If he's jealous, what tools does he use? Jealousy. So he tries to convince Eve to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. What tool does he use? Jealousy. So what happens? He says to the woman, Oh, you guys can't eat from the tree. You can't touch it. And the Sorry, yeah. So he says to her, Do you want to eat from it? God says you can't eat any, anything. And she says, No, we can eat everything except for that one tree that God said we can't eat and we can't touch. And then what does the serpent say to Eve? She says, no, no, no. You're not going to die. You know why God doesn't want you to eat it? God knows that on the day that you eat from this fruit, your eyes will be opened. And you'll become very, very wise. And Eve's like, eh, okay, no big deal. I don't need to be that wise, right? But then he's like, okay, now you got to redouble your efforts. And then he says, ke'elokim. Oh, but you could also be like a god. And that's all she has to hear. You could be like him. You could be smart. No thanks. I don't need to be smart. It's not that important. I'd rather be right than be smart. Right? God said, don't eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. He's saying, listen, Eve, if you, if you eat from the tree, you're going to be very smart. You're going to be very smart. She says, no thanks. And you could be like God. Oh, I could be like him? Oh, I want it now. Suddenly, suddenly, she looks at the tree entirely different. She suddenly sees that it's beautiful. And the tree is... is she sees that it's good for eating. It's attractive to the eye. And it is very appropriate. It's a very good way of... Achieving wisdom, and she takes from it and she eats it. All you got to do is say, you could be like them, and boom, she's in. You could be smart, I don't need to be smart. You could be like God, oh, it's really good. And then you, you come up with all the reasons in the world why you need to do this. It's good for eating. There was a million other trees in the garden. It was beautiful to look at. There was a million other beautiful trees to look at. It's really all about, I want to be like God. So she eats from the tree. So the first way the evil inclination gets brought onto the scene, he comes onto the scene because he sees Adam and Eve together and he's jealous of them. He's attracted, that cunning serpent, the evil inclination, slithering around with his little tongue darting in and out. He is attracted by jealousy. He employs jealousy to get Eve to eat from the tree. 
Now, the first homicide also happens because of jealousy. What's the first homicide? Cain and Abel. Incorrecto mundo. <laughs> Not true. The first homicide was Eve killing her husband. Right? You guys think the men are always the violent ones. I'm just saying. What happens? She takes from the fruit. She immediately knows she's going to die. As soon as she eats from the tree, she's like, I'm going to die. And then she serves it up to her husband on a dinner plate. How could she do that? Right? It says, She took She took from the fruit and she ate it. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Why did she give it to her husband after she ate from it and knew that she was going to die? Look at Rashi. Rashi on the source, right there in your source sheets. What did I just do to my source sheet here? Here we go. What did I do to my source sheet? It's source, what source are we on? Hold on. Source 5. It's on the bottom of the page and then it flips over to the other side. She also gave it to her husband. Why? So that she will not die and he will go marry somebody else. She killed her husband so that he wouldn't go marry... I got it, I found it. Thank you so much. She killed her husband. She killed the first homicide. We always think of Cain and Abel, but it's actually not Cain and Abel. It's Eve killing Adam. Eve giving an absolute toxin, a poisonous fruit, to Adam and saying, you are not going to marry any other woman. Were there other women around? Well, that's a good question. Were there other women around? When you have the time, look into Lilith. <laughs> I'm not even kidding, by the way. So, I'm not kidding. So Lilith is like this mystical sort of um, demon woman, so to speak. And, and that's, that's who, it seems like that's who she was afraid he would marry. Alrighty. Now as it is, even without marrying Lilith, they fathered two children, Cain and Abel, one of whom ends up being a murderer. Could you imagine if, she, if he ended up marrying Lilith? Right? Could you imagine if Adam ended up marrying? By marrying Eve, the mother of all life, they ended up having two children, one of whom became a murderer. Could you imagine if Eve would have died and he would have married Lilith? Anyway, okay. But the bottom line, <laughs> the bottom line is... The second murderer is the one that we're most familiar with is the story of Cain and Abel, the two brothers. Now, of course, they say, how long did Cain hate his brother? As long as he was Abel. <laughs> okay. I'll be here all week, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> now, I ready made a bracha. I'm sorry. But, uh... What's the story of Cain and Abel? So let's, a story, let's see the story inside. So, what happens? Hevel, Abel, sorry, brings a offering to God. Look at source number six. And it was, in the course of time, And Cain, so the world was split up. Okay, Cain and Abel split up the world. There was only two children that were the heirs apparent to Adam and Eve. Cain was going to get all the, uh, the farmland, and Abel was going to get all the livestock. Okay? So Cain brings an offering to God. The Hevel Hevi Gamhu. Hevel also brought. The word Gam means also. He was not exactly the originator. He wasn't the most original guy. He also brought. Cain brought an offering. Hevel said, oh, that looks cool. I want to do that. I'm going to bring an offering too. But guess what? 
And God actually accepted Hevel's offering, not Cain's offering. Why? Because Cain, although he may have been the originator of the idea of bringing a sacrifice, his sacrifice was not that great. What did he give to God? The two-day-old stuff, you know, like they kind of sell it in a cellophane, like four zucchinis wrapped together, 50 cents, marked down, reduced, but really good for making into stock for, you know, for, pot, for, for soups. So, you know, it's got a little bit of bruise, little, my mother used to say the best part of the banana is the brown, but when it's all brown, you know, it's still usable in like a, maybe you put it into a blender and make it into a smoothie or something. Not exactly the most attractive fruit. So Hevel brought his unattractive fruit to God. Cain brought the best. He brought from the firstborns, from the fattiest. He brought the best of the best. Now here's, God says, I'm going to take Hevel's because one of the most important rules in life is you do not need to be original. You need to be dedicated. You need to be selfless. Think about a marriage. Think about parents. Do you think your kids care if you're the very first person ever to think of how you treat them special? <laughs> right? Do you think your kids are like, oh, my mom and dad love me, but it's just like every other kid whose mom and dad loves them. I wish my parents would you know, shoot me out of a cannon and scream to me they love me while they're shooting me out of a cannon or something. I, whatever. Like, they don't care. Love them. Be sacrificed to them. You know, some people, when they, when they, when they want to do, you know, you want to propose to your wife. Some people have to do these crazy spectacles. They want to be the, most, the first guy ever in the history of mankind to propose to their wife while standing on the jet wing, on a wing of a jet, and she's in the middle of falling down because she's doing parachuting or gliding or whatever, or skydiving, and as she's passing by, and I'm standing on the, on, on the jet wing, I'm like, will you marry me with a, with, a, with a bullhorn? And I have the photographers there, and everyone knows I'm the very first person who proposed to my wife while she was falling down out of the sky skydiving, and I was on the, standing on the wings of a jet. Clearly very original. Not important at all. Very stupid, too. Yeah, I kind of agree. You also just, you and your wife just lost your ability to get life insurance. So, <laughs> when you put yourself out there, as, original is not what it's about. It's about dedication and selflessness. You don't need to be the most original person. But if you show that you put in the effort and you really, really worked hard for another person and you really care about them tremendously, that's all that counts. God says, I don't need the original innovative thought of giving me an offering if you're not really giving me yourself fully. You're just giving me your third best stuff. But someone else who will come and offer themselves to me fully, even if it's not the first time anyone thought of that. So interestingly, Hevel and Cain are both going to be jealous in this story. Cain is jealous because God accepted Hevel's offering and not his. But we're going to see that Hevel was jealous too, but in a good way. Let's see. Let's go back into the verses over there. So God did not listen to Cain, did not take Cain's offering. And Cain became very angry and his face fell. He got depressed. And Hashem says to Cain, Why are you so depressed? Why are you so angry? Why are you angry? Hello, imsetiv se'es. If you make it better, you will be uplifted. V'imlo se'tiv. But if you do not make it better, la petach chatas rovets, sin will be waiting at the door. Ve'elecha teshukaso. And he wants you. Sin wants you. Uncle Sam wants you. 
Sin wants you. And he's waiting by your, do- by your doorstep. However, you can beat him. Vayomer, Cain, Al-Hevel, and Cain says to his brother Hevel, and they were in the field. Vayakum, Cain, Al-Hevel, and Cain got up and killed his brother Hevel. Cain was jealous. God accepted his offering and not mine. God comes to Cain and has a conversation with him. It's a very high level, right? Very high level. God comes to you and has a conversation. And he says to you, look, Cain, what's up? You're jealous? Here's your ticket out of this. Make it better. Hello, Intetiv. If you make it better, if you make it better, you will be uplifted out of this. But if you don't, you're in big trouble. And of course, Cain is not able to handle it properly. He's so jealous of his brother, he kills him. But interestingly, Hevel was jealous of Cain too. Because where did Hevel learn the idea of giving a sacrifice from? He learned it from his brother. He was jealous in a good way. He says, oh, my brother, he did something beautiful. He brought an offering to God. I also want to be like that. And we're going to see soon, that's the good kind of jealousy. So in this little story over here, we cover so many important points. Number one, let's start to see a little bit of an unraveling of how do you get out of jealousy. And number two, what the good kinds of jealousy are. There was a young man who grew up in Canada. He was in British Columbia on the far western side of Canada. He was born in 1958. His name was Terry Fox. He was a regular kid, very athletic. He played high school hockey, lacrosse, track, basketball. In 1977, he was diagnosed with bone cancer, and he had to have his right leg amputated. Could you imagine? You're an athletic kid, okay? You're an athletic kid. You're 19 years old, and you're in the hospital, and they're telling you they've got to take off your right leg, Okay? He could sit there and he could be very angry. He'd be, the, I mean, if he'd be jealous, he'd have the greatest excuses. You know why? Because you have two and I have one, right? I mean, we're talking about high-level jealousy. It's not like, you know, your car has heated seats and mine don't. It's like, no, no, you have two, everyone has two, and I only have one. There would be plenty of reason for him to be jealous. But in that hospital, before they even amputated him, he saw a television program about a person who ran on a prosthetic leg. And he decided then and there that I'm going to get out of this hospital. I'm going to beat this cancer. I'm going to get out. I'm going to get a prosthetic. And I'm going to run from one end of Canada to the other to raise money for cancer research to help other people out of my situation. He went into the surgery where he knew he was about to lose his leg, confident. He was not going to be jealous. He was going to make it better. Hello, Imtetiv says, if you make it better, you'll get uplifted. So he walked into the surgery uplifted, knowing that he was going to do something great. He came out, long months of recovery. He got fitted for a prosthetic. He started running and training and training and running. And finally it came time to him for him to fulfill his dream. He took a plane to Newfoundland on the eastern coast of Canada. He dipped his prosthetic leg into the Atlantic Ocean and he started to run. When we say run though, 
this is not like, you know, I, I do, I run for, for 12 seconds, and then I walk for five minutes, and then, I, and then I just, you know, I run for another 15 seconds, timing, I do, don't, don't overdo it, don't overdo it, then I cool down for five minutes. This is running a marathon every day. Now, I know a few people who've run marathons. If they're, they'll run maybe a marathon a year, maybe one every other year. Terry Fox is running a marathon every single day. Every day. 26.8 miles? What is a marathon? I forgot all those. What did you say? I think it's 26.2. 26.2. Yeah, I forget about all those, uh, those smug bumper stickers. No, <laughs> You're right. It is. Do you have one of those? God forbid. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. So he's running 26.2 miles on a prosthetic leg. Now, at first, nobody knows who he is. He's some dude, some little kid running through Canada. But over time, the media attention starts to really catch up with him. It gets to a point where towns are turning out to watch him go through their town. And the whole the towns are running alongside him. He starts becoming a media sensation. And wherever he goes, they're expecting him. They know him. They're shutting down the roads. There are people who are running alongside him. He starts raising money. Now, this is back in 1980. He starts raising money over a million dollars. He's going, he's going, he's going. He ran for 143 days straight, a full marathon every single day. And then... Just a few hundred miles from the Pacific coast, his cancer came back violently, and he could not continue running, and he had to return home for treatment, and he passed away on June 28, 1981. Now, in his lifetime, he saw that he raised $1.7 million. Now again, just to understand, this is 1980 money, before like the 9% inflation thing. So like $1.7 million in 1980 would probably be the equivalent of, I don't know, $20 million today. Yeah, um, maybe maybe ten million dollars today. But but since he died, there have been all these Terry Fox races and marathons and events in his name. Hundreds of billions of dollars have been raised. Over half a trillion dollars has been raised for cancer research under the Terry Fox name. In 1999, at the end of the second millennia. When Canadians voted on who their greatest national hero was, Terry Fox was the overwhelming favorite as the greatest Canadian national hero. Now remember, it's Canada, so I don't know who the competition is, whatever. It's like, <laughs> Bob. <laughs> it's either Terry Fox or Bob. Anyway, so... Um, but think about that. The greatest national hero. This is what Hashem is saying to Cain. You're jealous. He had an offering. Your brother had an offering, and I accepted his offering, and I did not accept your offering. You could be jealous. So you have two choices now. Imitative, if you make it better, you will be uplifted. If you take your pain and you realize you're, what are you going to do now? You don't, you did not get the first offering accepted. But if you say, wow, let me learn from this. Why did his offering get accepted? Oh, his offering got accepted because he brought the best of the best. I'm going to bring the best of the best from now on in the future. And I'm going to find out other ways to serve God. I was innovative once. I figured out a brand new thing called an offering to God. No one ever did it before in history. 
I'll figure out other ways, innovative ways, but this time I'll go all in like my brother just did, who brought the best of the best. You would be uplifted. You'd be amazing. If you are willing to take a place where you have deep pain, deep suffering, deep challenge, and instead of walking around saying, look at me, everyone has so much more than me, you say, what can I do to lift up others? I'm in a place of pain right now, but that gives me a certain empathy, a certain understanding, a certain depth of desire to do better for others. Do that. Activate it. And you will become great. Almost every great personage in history has been through serious pains and trauma. If you don't, you're going to open up your door. La petach chatas rovets. As soon as you get out of your door in the morning, what's the first thing that's going to greet you? That neighbor who has a nicer car than you, and that neighbor who has a nicer house than you. And then you're going to get on the road, you're going to be driving to work, and there's going to be the billboard with the, you know, the, 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 the next car that you don't own. And there'll be another billboard with all the cool clothing you can't afford. And then you're going to get to work, and there's going to be that guy who's just much, much more successful at work than you. And there's going to be the guy, you're, no matter what, every, the minute you walk out of your house, you're going to see everybody who has more than you. That's all you're going to see when you walk outside. If you can't learn to make your situation better, then everybody around you is going to offer you stuff that you don't have that you can be jealous of. Everyone's going to have something out there. We're going to, we're going to talk about that at the end, okay? Okay. However, from the story we also learn, like I said, we also learn about the good type of jealousy. The good type of jealousy is when you see someone else doing something good and you say, I also want to do something good. The Hevel Hevi Gamhu. Hevel also brought an offering. Where did he get the idea from? He didn't think of it his own. He said, I see somebody doing something good. I also want to do something good. I don't want him to do it any less. This is a very important thing. How do you know the difference between when I'm jealous, a good kind of jealousy, and a bad kind of jealousy? The good kind of jealousy is, I see somebody doing something good. I want to do that too, but I don't want him to do it any less. The bad kind of jealousy is, oh, this guy on my block, he got the first Lamborghini. I want, the first, I, want, I want to be the only guy with a Lamborghini on my block. Not only do I want his Lamborghini, I don't want him to have one. Because if everyone has Lamborghinis, what's a Lamborghini? Right? So that is what it means to be able to learn and be jealous in a good way. See what other people are doing right and say, I want to do that also. I don't want them to do it any less, but I want to do it too. Thomas Alva Edison, one of the greatest inventors of all time. People have no idea. We just think he invented the, the light bulb. He invented the movie camera. He invented the, 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 uh, the phonograph, exactly. <laughs> like this. The phonograph, right? He basically invented the, the, the movie industry, the music industry, right? He, had, he opened up in his, in his lifetime 14 major companies, the most famous of which, of course, was General Electric. He was so prolific. Now, he had it, he had it tough. When he was a young child, he, he started going deaf. And he progressively lost his hearing, right? Which anytime you progressively lose something, God forbid someone's born without it, it's one thing, they don't know what they're missing. 
When someone has sight and then loses it, or someone has hearing and then loses it, it's so hard. Because he knows what everybody else has. A regular blind, a person who's born blind, for example, they know that they can, they can see and that everyone else can see, but they don't even know what sight is really, right? They don't know what they've never seen in their lives. They have no comprehension of what sight is. But somebody who grew up seeing for the first 20 years of their life, and then they lose it, right? They know what they're missing out on. They know the vibrancy of color. They know the ease of moving through the world when you can see. Thomas Edison lost his hearing. He was sent home from school because the teacher said his, his brain was addled and he would never be able to make a decent student. So he was sent home from school and his mother had to teach him as best as she could in the home. Then he moved to Port Huron, Michigan. He got married, he had three children. He was working selling candy bars and newspapers on the trains that would go through Port Huron. And then his wife died, leaving him with three children, 29 years old, almost entirely deaf, now with three orphans to take care of, selling candy bars and newspapers on the trains in Port Huron, and now he has to take on a second job selling vegetables out of a pushcart in the evenings after the trains were finished so he could help support the three children he had. Plenty of reasons to be angry at the world. Plenty of reasons to say, God gave me the bad end of the deal. You're going to blame me for being bitter. You're going to blame me for being angry. You're going to blame me for being an alcoholic. Did God take away your hearing? Did God take away your wife? Did God leave you a penniless father of three orphans? No, so you have nothing to say to me. He could have been that guy. And when he would say that to you, you'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I, you're right, you're right, I'm sorry, I can't judge you. Can't judge you. He said, I'm going to make it better. And he scrapped away. He said, I am desperate, I am poor, but that's all the more reason why I need to figure something out. I need to figure out a way to get out of this and bring my family success. And he did. And he ended up inventing over a thousand inventions. And they once said to him, how about you invent a hearing aid? Right, he was involved in the music industry, right? He invented the phonograph, right? A man who was pretty much functionally deaf invented the music industry. So he said, why don't you invent a hearing aid? He said, are you kidding me? I'd be giving away my greatest gift. He says, right now, I could be in the labs, in the Bell Labs, and there's a hundred people running around me doing all kinds of things. and so much chaos, and I'm just in my own little world. No one's bothering me. I, just, I, just, I can hear my own self think. So he turned his disadvantage, his deafness, into an advantage. This quiet space in which he was able to invent over a thousand products that made our lives immeasurably better. If you learn how to take your pain and make it good, you will be uplifted over the average human being. If someone is struggling financially... A person could say, oh, it's not fair. I look around, all these people, they're all fine. They don't have to worry about where they're going to get money for their groceries. They don't have to worry about how they're going to pay for their electric bill. They don't have to worry about the fact that their car has been sitting parked in their driveway for the last three weeks because they, they can't afford the repairs. A person could walk around like that. 
and just be angry. It's not fair. How come these people have this and this person has this and they could spend their life like that? And it will just consume them. Or they can say, I am challenged so much by lacking resources and I know how difficult that is. Let me create an organization or let me volunteer for an organization. Let me get involved in helping other people alleviate this situation. And they could end up becoming the fire that changes the lives of hundreds or thousands of people in their community. There's a family, the Bachner family. They're a Hasidic family from New York. Hashem didn't bless them with children. It's very challenging, especially in the Hasidic communities where people have very large families. You know, where where the average family size is 8, 9, 10 and life revolves, if, if you're in a community with many, mostly young families, life revolves around children. And the Bachner family were not blessed with children. They tried, they did all the, the best treatments they could, and it didn't work. And at one point they decided, okay, we were not given this blessing, but let's do everything that we can to give this blessing to others. They opened up an organization called Bone Olam where they have, over the last 30 years, have brought about well over a thousand babies right now in couples that were dealing with absolute infertility blockages. They are on top of the latest research, the latest data. They have funds for people to go through IVF treatments, they're very expensive treatments. A round of IVF could be $30,000. So they have the funding, and they have the doctors, and they have the research, and they have the volunteers, and they have the support groups for those who are in their program but have not been successful. They have Shabbatones. Here are people who could have just been bitter. They could have drank the bitter juice all the days of their life. Why did God not give us children? He gave everybody else children. All my sisters and brothers and all her sisters and brothers, they all have children and how could He denied us? We're living in darkness. Or no, they could create light for thousands of others, which they did. Amazingly. And it's because they had the pain and suffering of not having children that they had the energy and the ability to go forth and create this amazing organization. Halalim Sativ, if you are able to make it good, you'll be uplifted. And by the way, jealousy is not only found in those who have no money who were the two wealthiest people that we know of, the wealthiest Jew that we ever know, meaning of all the wealthy Jews, the wealthiest one we ever know is Korach. The sages tell us that Korach was the wealthiest man of all those who came out of Egypt. And the people coming out of Egypt had the greatest concentration of wealth of ever in the Jewish people. Korach was the wealthiest. Was he spared from jealousy? No. He was jealous that his cousin had a title of the Rosh Base of Meshpachas HaKasi, they were from the tribe of Levite. Levite had three children, Gershon, Kahas, and Merari. And his younger cousin had the job of the leader of the Kahas family. He was like the undersecretary of the Navy. Okay, Nobody is jealous of the undersecretary of the Navy. Except for Korach. He was so jealous. You're the richest man in the world. You're the Elon Musk. You're the richest man in the world. And you're jealous that your younger cousin has the undersecretary of the Navy position. You need that too? Haman was the wealthiest person. He was wealthier than the king. He's offering the king money. I'll give you 10,000 silver bars. 
He was the wealthiest, but he sees one Jew who's not under his control, who's not under his dominion, and he's not worth, it's not worth, all of his wealth is worth nothing as long as one Jew has a greater spirit than me and a fiercer independence than me. So jealousy does not strike only at those with limited resources. You can have all the resources in the world and you can still be jealous because what is jealousy? The verse tells us, and I guess, no, I don't think it's in your source sheet. I don't think, sorry. It's in, uh, it's in my source sheet. Urakav atzamos kina. The Mishnah, ta- sorry, the, the verse says in Proverbs, in the book of Mishlei, so you have, oh, okay. Verse 10, I'm sorry, source 10. Thank you. Source number 10, Proverbs 14.30. Urakav atzamos kina. The rot of bones is jealousy. Now, what you think that means is, is if you're jealous of other people, your bones are going to rot, right? Which means, if you don't tend to yourself because you're so busy looking at everybody else's stuff, then eventually your stuff starts to rot. Which, like we said, if you're so busy looking at everybody else's car, and you don't look at your car, you don't even take care of your car, and your car ends up rotting away. All the good that you have in your house rots away. You may have a wonderful wife and kids, but you're busy looking at everybody else's wife and kids, and you don't realize the gifts that you have in your own home. So that's one way of looking at it. Because you are jealous, your own bones start to rot because you don't tend to your own because you're so busy looking at everyone else's. So that's saying because of jealousy, the cause will be jealousy, the result will be your bones will rot. But there's another way to flip it around. It's because of the rot of bones that you are jealous. Because you don't feel good about yourself you're jealous of everybody else's stuff. There's an American writer named Joan Didion. She writes, To cure jealousy is to see it for what it is, a dissatisfaction with self. If you're busy being jealous of others, it just tells you, it means I'm not happy with me. When you're happy with you, you're not jealous of anybody. Remember, I one time met a friend of my, uh, a friend of a good friend of mine's brother. I met him in Israel, and at the time, he was living in absolute poverty. He had six kids in a small two-bedroom apartment on the sixth floor of a walk-up. He was working really hard, but making you know the equivalent of like ten, eleven dollars an hour. And I meet him. I mean, him before Shabbos, I was going shopping. We were on a trip to Israel, and I was shopping for goodies for the Oneg. And I meet him, and he's buying a thing of American pickles. So I say to him, I say, we'll call him Bob. I say, Bob, how you doing? He says, ugh, life is amazing. He's got a, my wife and my children. And I, before Shabbos, I could even buy American pickles. He says, life is so good, I'm jealous of myself. <laughs> such a line. No, such a line. Oh, beautiful. Life is so good, I'm jealous of myself. When you're happy with you, you don't care about anything else in the world. You don't care about their cars and their apartments and their houses and their vacations. You don't care because you're looking at you and you're thrilled with what you have. 
You're making imitatives to ace. If you make what you have good, then you will be uplifted above all that jealousy. <laughs> if you make what you have good, then there's no jealousy in life. So the first step to overcoming jealousy is just focus in on what you have all the time. Talk about the good in your life. To yourself even, all the time. To your children, all the time. Not necessarily to others all the time if they don't have the good that you have. You've got to be very careful. Okay, now, why did God put jealousy in the world? Because ultimately, jealousy is an amazing driver of the world. The success of the world is based on jealousy. If not for jealousy, then no one would do anything. Let me read to you from the Arch of Sadiqim in Shar Hakina, the gate of jealousy, source number nine. For without jealousy, I'm just going to read the English, the world will not stand. No one will plant a vineyard, no one will marry, no one will build a house. For all these things come as a result of someone being jealous of his friend. I see that he has a house. I don't want his house, but I want a house too. So I build a house. I see that he has a business. I don't want his business, but I want to have a business so that I can provide for my children. I want to be able to take my family on vacation. Where did I get the idea from about vacation? I saw them doing it. This creates the world, the world of commerce, the world of interconnectedness, the world of taking care of each other, the world of building businesses, the world of employing people. It all comes from the very fact that we see other people having good things and we want good things. That's not bad. It's not bad to want good things. It's bad to want other people's good things. For all these things come as a result of someone being jealous of his friend. If one person builds a house, others will also take their heart to do it. And the same applies regarding marrying a woman. Everyone's jealous of their friend. There's a very powerful good jealousy in the world. Seeing the good in other people's lives and saying, I want to bring that good into my life. I see someone who treats his wife like gold and I see the way they look at each other. I want that too. I don't want them not to have it. I want me to have it. So I learn from them. Fascinatingly, Remember what the, what the snake said to Eve right in the beginning. You could be like God. Right? You could be like God. The reality is, the snake wasn't wrong. We should want to be like God. That is the goal of mankind, the imitatio Dei, to imitate the divine, to be like God. It's just that we, we can't get it by taking something that he has, that he told me not to take. You have to take it by doing the hard work. You have to take it by giving the right offering. I can't do it by killing Hevel. I can't do it by killing my brother who brought a better offering. I need to do it by bringing a better offering. If I want to be like God, be like God. Don't take the item that God said you can't take. That really, at the root of all, the root of almost all evil comes from jealousy, and almost all good comes from jealousy. Just depends what you're being jealous of and where you put your efforts towards. And continues the Archa Sadiqim, the last paragraph he has over there. He says, Vikivan Shakim Ha'olam since the world depends on jealousy, Yasim put all your jealousies for godly purposes. If you build a house, put a nice room in it. You want to build a house because you saw someone else build a house. Great. Make sure when you build that house, put a nice room in it for Torah study. 
Make your house into a place where we have lunch and learns and Torah study groups. It says that right over here. John and Carol Horton, by the way. <laughs> they have every, before the pandemic, every week they had it in their house. Right? Um, and to welcome guests in. Okay, now, here's a very important point. There's so much here. I really should do two weeks on jealousy because I, there's so much here. I, I, got, I, got, I got to move on. Our goal is to be jealous in life, but jealous of the right things. Kinas sofrim tar The jealousy of wise people will increase wisdom. Before I put my kids to bed, we sing to them, Mommy loves you, Daddy loves you, Hashem loves you so much. Like, Mommy loves you, Daddy loves you. Where do we get that from? I saw somebody putting his, bed, his kids to bed and singing something very similar to them like that. And I was like, wow, that's so beautiful. The last thing a child should hear before he goes to bed is that his parents love him, that God loves him. So, great. That's a good kind of jealousy. I didn't say, wait, wait, you stop. I'm going to do that. <laughs> you stop putting your kids to bed nicely. I don't want to put my kids to bed nicely. No! I said, I'm jealous of him. I want to do that. Everything, everything is, there's good jealousy and bad jealousy. You go to a house, you see that during the dinner table, they pass around a, a stucca box and everyone gives stucca. And you say, oh wow, I want to do that when I grow up. <laughs> I want to do that at my dinner table, right? Whether or not, maybe your kids are out of the house. But you and your husband should have on the dinner table a stucca box that every single time you sit down for a meal together, you drop a coin in. How beautiful is that? You're taking and giving at the same time. Amazing. Now, here is a very important point. And this again is from the Archos Sadikim, Shar Hakina. I'm going to read it in English. The question that we have to answer is are we responsible for other people's jealousy towards us? Okay? Again, are we responsible for other people's jealousy towards us? Here we go. The early sages used to pray that they should not be jealous of others and that others shouldn't be jealous of them. Being jealous of me should not come to other people. Why would they pray that they should not have this bad effect on others? And not Meaning they didn't say, they didn't pray every day, Hashem, please make sure no one gets angry at me today. Hashem, please make sure no one lies to me today. Hashem, please make sure no one strikes me today. But they would say, Hashem, please make sure no one gets jealous of me today. The matter is like this, explains the Orchos Sadikim. For many people cause others to be jealous of them and covet what they have. Therefore they would pray that others shouldn't envy them, for perhaps it would be they who were causing the envy. And the Torah says, don't place a stumbling block before the blind. Therefore, it is a good trait for a person not to wear clothing that are exceedingly beautiful and expensive, not him, and not his wife or children. And the same applies to food or other things. Now, of course, that was written in the Archa Siddiquim's time. I would include cars, right? We have to understand that what we drive, what we wear, has an effect on other people. Now, it doesn't mean you've got to walk around in shmatas, But it means know your neighborhood. Know your neighborhood. If you're driving around... In, in a community where people are struggling to put food on their table, and you're driving around in a Bentley, you are so incredibly tone deaf, and you're, you're absolutely wrong. It's funny, there was, there was a podcast recently, there was a podcast called Kosher Money, it's an amazing podcast, check it out. 
And they were interviewing this rabbi, and they said to him, is it wrong for somebody very wealthy to, you know, just flaunt their wealth, so to speak, to, to just, you know, totally take it, you know, use it to buy whatever they want. And this rabbi, who's a very top rabbi in America, he said, no, nope, there's nothing wrong with it. I reached out to him with this and a number of other proofs. We got into, we never ended up resolving that debate. But in my opinion, and I, I'm, I'm basing it on this, so I'm not basing it on like Lady Burnham's opinion, it's absolutely wrong for you to cause other people to be jealous of you. Continues the Arch of Siddiquim, but someone who is the creator, what, what do you do if you have riches? Obviously try to live more uh, simply than you could, right? Live below your means is a good, is a good suggestion for everybody. Right? It's a good suggestion for people who are trying to, to be able to build a secure future. Right? I, I, was, I was on the plane the other day, and this guy was wearing a t-shirt. It said, assets over liabilities. Right? Means the number of assets you should have should be higher than the number of liabilities you have. Such a, I, I, saw, I love the t-shirt. Right? People take on debt today trying to live like the guy next door to them who's buying the car, who's trying to live like the guy next door to them. And we're driving ourselves into debt. We're driving ourselves taking vacations. People are flying private jets. It's crazy stuff. All trying to live like the Joneses. Trying to live like the Joneses. And it's, it's devastating. So you should live below your means. If you're struggling financially, then live below your means so you can try to get yourself out of your debt. If you're rich, live below your means too, so people don't you don't stick it to everybody in the eye. But what should you do? Bottom line is, let's say Baruch Hashem, Hashem has blessed you with tremendous success. But someone who the Creator is blessed with riches and a lot of possessions, he should make sure to benefit others with them, and he should use his gifts in a pleasant way and do acts of kindness with them. And we've already spoke of how important it is for one to be beloved by humanity. And when he is beloved by everyone, they won't be jealous or covet what he has. If you, if you do have the biggest house in the block, make sure that you open up your house always to all kinds of organizations for baby showers, for wedding showers, for, for talks from a rabbi, for brisim. For, uh, make sure you use that house in a proper way and then everyone's rooting for you. They're not angry that you have this big house. They're happy for you because you use it for everybody else's good too. What are the tips to beat jealousy? Let's say I'm feeling jealous. What are the tips to beat jealousy? The Torah said the last of the Ten Commandments is Losach Mod. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Losach Mod Beis Reyecha. Losach Mod Eishes Reyecha. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Va'avdo va'amaso, his manservant, his maidservant, v'shor, v'chamor, v'chosher l'avdecha. So manservant and maidservant would be like a person's wealth. Right? In those days when a person had wealth, he had a large retinue of servants in the house. And a shore and a chamor, the ox and donkey, that's like a cow today, right? So saying, don't be jealous of your friend's house. Don't be jealous of his wife. Don't be jealous of his business possessions. Don't be jealous of his car. Now, if Hashem is commanding me to do this, obviously it's my control. Because Hashem is commanding me to do it. So how do I, how do, I do that? Step number one, increase your faith in God. Our faith in God tells us that whatever is best for us is what God gives us. So if, if I don't have a Lamborghini in my driveway, I happen to have one, but if you don't have a Lamborghini in your driveway, it's because God has determined that you should not have a Lamborghini. It wouldn't be good for you. The more I come to this place of faith, of believing that whatever I have is exactly what God determined is best for me right now. If my bank account has $10,000 in it, if my bank account has $100,000 in it, if my bank account has negative $2,000 in it, that's exactly where God wants me to be right now. 
When I increase my faith that God loves me and God is giving me this challenge, this situation, for whatever reason I'm supposed to go through it, then I don't resent other people for their wealth because that's, Hashem gave them that because it was best for them. Hashem gave me what's best for me. Number two, increase your love for somebody else. You see, some, if you're specifically jealous of a, a specific person, increase your love for them. Daven on that person's behalf. Jealousness is all about selfishness. It's, I want for me, I want for me. Get out of that selfishness. Daven for that particular person that you're jealous of. Go become selfless for that person. Daven for their family, daven for their health, daven for their success. Find yourself on the giving end to them and you won't be on the pulling, trying to pull end, right? Or do chesed in general. Try to do, if you find yourself just obsessed with jealousy, try to do more chesed. Because when the busier you are taking care of other people's needs, the less you obsess about your own needs. Again, the busier you are taking care of other people's needs, the less obsessed you are with your own. Last week I had the honor to have in my house a, a man from Marriage Yisrael named Rabbi Goldberg. His father was a legendary, legendary stucca disperser. He used to disperse every year tens of millions of dollars in charity. Tens of millions of dollars of charity. He used to go collect it. People had absolute faith. They really knew that whatever you gave to him was going straight through. I spoke to his son. He said, we grew up in a house that was 560 square feet. He think he was one of eight, I think he told me. He was one of eight. He said he grew up, his father is giving away millions, tens of millions of dollars a year, and they lived in a house, a 560 square foot house with eight children. He said, my father was so busy taking care of everybody. And he got us involved too. We're all involved. All of his children were involved. Everyone was involved. When you're busy taking care of others, you don't worry about yourself. The Torah has a commandment that says you're not allowed to plow your field with two animals, with shor v'chamor yachtov. You're not allowed to plow your field with an ox and a donkey. Why not? So one of the concepts that the sages bring down is because when you plow, your ox chews its cud. What does choose its cud mean? Where friends speak, the Das I'm sorry, speaks about this. Choose its cud means you eat your dinner, and then it goes down into one of your multiple chambered stomachs, and you send it back up. You do some more chewing, and then you send it back down. It comes back up. That's why you'll see, you'll see cows sometimes sitting there, and they suddenly start chewing. You're like, what are you chewing, man? Someone give you a big wad of Wrigley's. Like, what are you doing over there? He's just re-chewing lunch. Now, a donkey doesn't do that. A donkey doesn't chew its cud. Imagine you have a donkey and an and a, and a ox hitched to the same yoke, and they're both pulling a plow. And suddenly, the cow starts eating. And the donkey's like, wait, I didn't get fed. He, he got fed? It's not fair. So the Torah says, out of sensitivity to the feelings of the donkey, that the donkey shouldn't feel jealous of the cow, don't plow with a donkey and an ox together. If that's how sensitive we have to be to the feelings of a cow and a donkey, think about how sensitive we have to be to the feelings of other people around us. If your children are doing amazingly well and other people are struggling, keep it still a hate. Keep it quiet. If you've been very successful in business but people are struggling, keep it quiet. If you're brilliant and other people are not, keep it quiet. Just, just keep all your gifts as quiet as possible. And whatever you have, give of it generously to others. So hopefully they'll be rooting for your success too. So 
the key, guys, is to take whatever we don't have and make it better. Understand how imtative to ace. If we're able to take our pain and use it for a positive, we bring the whole world and ourselves up with it, like Rabbi Goldberg, who gave out millions of dollars and tens of millions in charity when he was living in a hovel, and like the Bachner family who had no children but brought into the world 13, 1,400 children already through their amazing, tireless efforts of making it better. So look, thank you very much. Let's be jealous, guys. Let's be jealous the right way. And, and, and God willing, never the wrong way. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.